0: You're with
1: Clement Maniatella. 702.
2: I want us to have a discussion, and I promised you last week that we'd we'll dedicate an hour to have a conversation about the ongoing conflict in the DRC, which has now claimed, in fact, two of our soldiers who were there as part of the Southern African Peace Mission. So I want us to just give you a sense of what's happening on the ground right now. We'll cross to someone who is live to us from the DRC just to get a sense of. The humanitarian crisis and how the government has been responding. Um, I've got analysts that I've invo- invited as well who can take us through, for instance, the involvement of Rwanda in this conflict. You know, what are the interests of the worst? And, and how effective is the, has the deployment of the regional force of soldiers from South Africa, from Tanzania and Malawi been in the DRC? Because even the United Nations had sent a peacekeeping mission there which has been there for decades, and I see that they'll be pulling out this year. And I wonder if that is an admission that they have somehow failed to protect civilians from these armed groups. So we'll take a few steps back to understand just how we got here and maybe begin even in the early 90s in the wake of the Rwandan genocide when 800,000 or so Tutsis and moderate Hutus um, were killed because that's so millions of rwandan refugees flooding into the eastern democratic republic of congo so we'll take it to the beginning as well uh, in a moment but i want to first of all uh bring in amy zonveni uh, who is a, a political analyst focusing on the great lakes region who's joining us for this conversation uh, amy thank you so much for making time for us good morning good morning and
3: thank you for having me
2: yeah thank you i just want to start off with you and then i'll let you go and bring in the the analysts just help us understand what the situation is on the ground in the east of the democratic republic of congo as someone um who's there on the ground what are you seeing how bad is the humanitarian crisis the humanitarian crisis has uh,
3: worsened over the past month i would even say over the past since In the sense that um, the DRC military now has been fighting against the M23, which is uh, believed to be uh, bankrolled by the neighboring countries, if you're of Rwanda. And that war now is uh, uh, progressively getting closer and closer to the city of Goma, which is uh, the economic capital of Eastern DRC and a city of many millions of people. So, that in fact can even escalate to an even worse um, situation out there.
2: How many people have fled the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo? Because often when you see the news, you see like the refugee camps and, and people that have been displaced. How many people have actually been forced to move from, from the eastern parts of the country?
3: More than 500,000 people have been, our states have been displaced or from their uh, initial locations. They are known as internally displaced people. But that's a figure that is indicative only of what has happened over the past year. But if you really want to get the cumulative figures, nobody knows because some are being directly affected by the conflicts from where they live, while others are only victims because they go to areas that are, a little bit peaceful, but then they add to the amount of people already there, thereby mm-hmm. uh, complicating uh, health issues, complicating infrastructures, especially in the city of Goma, where many are coming.
2: Mm-hmm. and, and is, is the government in, in the DRC have, have they demonstrated the capability to respond? I know I know the army has has been battling the, the 23 rebels, but are they losing the battle?
3: Well, I would say unfortunately not. The reason is very simple. The DRC, as many people know, has been uh, the home of the largest UN peacekeeping mission that has been there since 1999. We're talking (laughs) about more than 20 years now. And also uh, has uh, enjoyed support from other regional blocs, such as SADAC and the Eastern African region. These supports seem to have put the DRC military in an inactive position or, say, in a position where the country still believes that it should outsource its security to external, to external uh, backers, which is not really helping much. And now the United Nations mission is, is scheduled to leave the country by the end of this year. Maybe then the, the honours will be on the D.R.C. military to defend the country. That's on the one hand. And on the other hand, these other rebel groups, in fact, are being uh, supported Uh, receiving military logistic support from other countries. So, in fact, at the end of the day, this is not just a war uh, uh, fighting a rebel movement. In fact, it's like a war, a proxy war, where a country is basically, uh, in the guise of a rebel movement, waging war on the DRC.
2: Amy, thank you so much for joining us, man. Uh, Amy uh, Zonveni is live to us from the DRC. Is a political analyst focusing on the Great Lakes region. I thought we should get some context um, on the ground on on what's happening, uh, how people have moved and how bad the humanitarian crisis is. Let's now get to the analysis of what has brought about this war, uh, where things started and where things are heading. In studio, I'm joined by Faith Mabera, who's a senior researcher at the Institute for Global Dialogue. Faith, uh, welcome back to the show. Great to see you again.
4: Thank you, Clement. Glad to be here.
2: And then we also have Dr. Droinati Ramaji, who is a senior researcher for Central Africa and the Great Lakes at the Institute for Security Studies. Um he's based in Chad. Thank you so much for making time for us, Dr. Ramaji. Good morning.
5: Good morning, and thank you for having me.
2: Mm. I-, I want us to maybe start with where things began, uh Faith. I was saying earlier that and I don't know where you want to start. Do you want to start um in the early nineties? Um how did we get here?
4: As you're saying, the history, okay. the, the mm. tainted history is quite a long one. Mm. And an important starting point is the first Congo war. So this, this background is important in light of the fact that context matters. Mm. If we look uh, at the time of the first Congo war, this was, this was between 96 and 97, just in the aftermath of the Rwandan genocide. You had, um, close to two million Refugees fleeing the the Rwanda into uh, DRC, and they settled particularly near the borderlands. Mm-hmm. And the Congo, the the first Congo war was um, prosecuted by Kagame, who was um, essentially pursuing remnants of the Hutu, Hutu extremists who had carried out the genocide. And in fact, he was aided by uh, then President uh, Laurent Kabila. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, it was it was under Mobutu, so it was an uh, an act of on one hand, they legitimated it on the basis of pursuing extremists and all remnants. Um, some some who, who they argued were sort of um, infiltrating themselves among the refugee population. Mm. So that then ended with the ouster of uh, uh, Mobutu fleeing. Uh, and then uh, Kabila was reinstated, uh, was, was reinstated as president in, in um, 96. Then we see um, him taking over the power and then... Shortly thereafter, I think there was a level of antagonism that also developed between him and Kagame. Mm. Kagame was determined to continue the pursuit of what he perceived as a national security threat to Rwanda. This then led to the second um, Congo war. And it's important to mention that even in the war, it's not just a uh, DRC Rwanda issue. In between was a mix of the the various other neighbors mm. um got involved mm. so for instance uh, kagame was also um aided by uganda um and also on the part when they were fighting especially in the second okay. war mm. uh, in in the second part there was um during mm. the second war there there was also another coalition led by against um 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 Kagame then yeah. when when the table stand. He was aided by another coalition which was uh, on his part were for instance Burundian elements yeah. who were also targeting particularly um Rwanda. So it's a very interesting uh flip flop um, changing calculuses and strategic rationales that inform. So it's in that context, the context of the refugee question yeah. settled at the borderlands that has, that has infiltrated a lot of um, the the political dynamics. But also we have the larger question about, of course, which everybody points to, is the rich mineral wealth, particularly yes. in Eastern DRC. And
2: and Dr. Ramaji, I want you to to get into that mineral wealth I'm and sure. and what's often you know sometimes is is the interest of 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 the West. How much of The rich mineral wealth of the DRC is part of the reason that we are seeing this ongoing
5: conflict. Okay, thank you. Uh, I think that, uh, as my colleague has been saying, uh, we have a lot of uh, actors that actually are implicated in the conflict. And uh, we could consider actors from uh, state levels, uh, talking about the different neighboring countries. But we could also um, talk about uh, actors at uh, the internal level and talking there here about uh, those hundreds of uh, uh, armed groups and militias. Uh, So if all those groups can actually prosper and uh, uh, keep doing what they're doing uh, on the ground, meaning uh, rocking on populations and resisting to the national army, Mm. it's also because they can uh, finance themselves through uh, the use of the different minerals that actually um, are in Eastern DRC. So this is one of the main, actually, uh, reasons why those groups could then, uh, so serious, so, so, so resilience and being able, uh, financing their different activities. Uh, this is one. Uh, but again, again, when we talk also about, uh, uh the other uh, neighboring countries, you know, uh, one of the main rhetoric actually from DRC, uh, state government is that it's due to uh the richness in terms of uh, mineral resources of Eastern DOC uh that countries like uh, Rwanda are actually uh so implicated in that part of the country, uh so to have a way accessing uh those resources. So I think uh we cannot take out of the picture uh the richness of Eastern DOC in terms of natural resources and the way uh this um, part of the country uh is actually um undergoing war. Uh, and uh, we have also to link that to uh, the national politic relating to uh, controlling the territory, but also uh, controlling those immense uh, resources. Mm. Uh, this is also why uh, it's so easy for those groups uh, to uh, conduct their activities based on those minerals.
2: Yeah, and, and and Dr. Ramaji, how, how credible are the claims that Rwanda is supporting the, the armed groups? I, I saw there was an independent... I think independent investigators from the United Nations, a group of experts on the DRC, who documented what they claim are drone, you know, footage and photographs that are showing that Rwandan troops have actually crossed the border to reinforce the M23. How credible are those, and and where does this then place the Rwandan government? Exactly.
5: Um, I think yeah, it's um, we have. Um, uh, many reports uh by the group of experts of the, from the UN uh on the DLC that have been documenting uh some factualities that uh, according to them actually uh prove that Rwanda have been supporting the M23 uh at least in terms of tracing some of the ammunitions that they found on the field but also some of the weapons uh, that actually have been used uh by the M20 uh, M23 uh and uh beyond all, all those allegations uh that actually uh, because the un have been insisting on those um on those evidences and i think that some other countries uh like the us actually uh in the la- in the in the last days have been also pointing uh very clearly to m23 and rwanda uh, in terms of uh eventual connection between that state and uh this movement but beyond that you know we can also consider uh some anthropological ties in terms of background of the M23 movement and, uh, also, uh, the people that actually are leading, uh, Rwanda. And this can also go back to the post genocide period in, uh, in Rwanda mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, uh, who have been victim of that, uh, uh, of that genocide and actually who is holding power, uh, in DRC. Because uh, in, uh, in Rwanda, when we look at one of the claims, uh, by the M23 is too much also about, uh, having more participation uh, for the Rwandan people and mainly the Tutsi people in Eastern DRC uh, to the, the the way power uh, mm-hmm. is governed and resources are governed in uh, DRC as a whole. Uh, and uh, the last thing I would like to to add is that uh, Rwanda has a very uh, clear claim in terms of uh, uh, as long as uh, there would be in DRC uh, some armed groups that actually uh, are opposed to. Uh, the Rwandan state, and that uh, might be uh, representing security threat for Rwanda, that they will keep having an eye uh, on Eastern DRC. And I'm now talking about the FDLR, Mm -hmm. Uh, that's also a Rwandan uh, rebellion but based in DRC. And uh, when talking about those uh, reports from the UN, at some point the UN have also been pointing uh, to DRC uh, that in a way are colluding with those uh, groups. So uh, we are facing a kind of very complex Mm -hmm. Uh, situation with a lot of interweaving uh, interests, uh, political interests, uh, ethnical interests, uh, but also economic interest. when uh, getting back to those mineral resources. And it's so intricated. Yeah. And this is also why, uh, actually, the international community, but also the regional bodies like the EAC, uh, the SADC, but also uh, the International Conference for the Greek Lake Regions are facing a lot of difficulties, you know, uh, finding a solution from the diplomatic uh, level mm. that would help uh, cease fire and then uh, get peace in Nigeria. Uh, Dioci.
2: Yeah. W- what is it going to take faith? W- why have all these regional bodies and even international interventions we've seen, why have they failed? And, and what do you think makes the M23 rebels so strong and difficult to defeat? And just to, to be clear, Rwanda's president, Paul Kag- Kagame, has been denying that his government supports uh, these rebels this has been going on for decades and decades and decades faith. Yes. Um, wh- why is it so difficult to, to, to resolve?
4: Ultimately as we know Clement um, war or conflict particularly is a continuation of politics by other means So I agree with what dr. Amaji was saying um, as to the emergence of the m23 so this dissatisfaction with the lack of Im- of um, implementation of an agreement that had been agreed by, with the Congolese government that they would integrate their forces. So when there was um, indication that this was not being pursued, they then took up arms. That's just, that's just, remember, that's just one armed group. There's also several, over 120 armed groups, which range from such sophisticated sort of rank and file, like what the M23 presents as an armed front, to ragtag militias so they 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 also find advantage in the terrain because they hide under the thick forest panoplies. so this is this presents this is a strategic environment with which we are dealing with mm. now at the political level. you must remember that a lot of the problems stem from from local level dynamics, the sense that the Congolese state is one that is sort of imperilled by weak capacity it's also hampered by a very poor governance of the security sector, so this then feeds into or fosters the fragmentation and the mushrooming of all these armed groups. Remember, they, they also have a lot of disparate interests that they're all pursuing. The M23 is not your average um, armed group. Mm. As Dr. Amaji elaborated, they were pursuing particularly a political agenda and also how they managed to win the hearts and the minds of the population is that they tapped into the rhetoric of speaking on behalf of the Congolese Uh, Tutsi population and the Kenya Rwanda speaking minorities in Eastern DRC. Mm. That's how they managed to sort of get a lot of support from the local population. So you can see how embedded they are within. Now coming to why there has been a constant breakdown and frustration with regard to political and and, uh, diplomatic initiatives. Case in point, let me use the most recent example as an illustrative um, element. DRC joined the East African community in 2020 to remember all along it had been a member of SADC. So this dual membership in two different regional economic communities presents quite a dilemma because it's almost as if one gets a sense as if the Congolese authorities were willing to go into forum shopping mode. Yeah. They were going to play and leverage which one would advance their interests um, in a more mm. um, sort of clearer manner.
2: So it's going to be Sadek or Ecowas. Uh, yes, echoes.
4: and this this actually played out because once did just in the run-up to the elections in, in December 2023, mm. once he sort of deciphered that the ESC and much to his frustration that the ESE regional force was not going to take on a more offensive military rep- operation against the M23. In fact, there was accusations that they were cohabiting some elements of M23. Mm. He then said, re- sort of reneged on his um, consent to host forces and told them you need to leave. And this this is what we happened with the withdrawal of the East African regional force. He then tapped into his SADC membership and said... T- especially leverage the, the Mutual Defense Pact mm. um, of SADEC, the 2003 Mutual Defense Pact, saying um, we have this pact, I'm a member, I'm a member state, and I feel that my national security is a threat, um, I'm, I'm leveraging or invoking this pact. And SADEC, uh, on virtue of collective action, had to move... Um, Enter the free. Mm
2: -hmm.
4: Um, And this is interesting. So the next is that
2: when Tanzania, Malawi, South Africa are sending soldiers?
4: This is why, because they're using that as the mandate. Uh That's where their mandate stems from. Now, a lot of I I can imagine to the listener, they're asking why is South Africa involved why is South Africa taking a lead nation role? Mm -hmm. It's an interesting picture because South Africa is leveraging its, it doesn't like the, the profile of being projected as a hegemon, but for all intents and purposes, by virtue of its clout in the region, it's long been seen mm. as the big brother in the region. Mm. Um, also, when you look at the kind of the, 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 the army that it commands, the cap- capabilities that it has, um, it was almost de facto leader. Um, whether it would have intended it or not. Mm. So this is why South Africa is going in. But also there's an argument to be made that South Africa was also s- founding a, a window of opportunity here to regain its lost influence in the Great Lakes region. And here I'm, ref- I'm referring to South Africa's long history of diplomatic involvement. Remember, right from when MONUSCO was initiated, right from the, the, the 90s, we saw South Africa not only even sending troops there earlier, but also playing a pivotal role in the diplomatic initiatives, including the 2002 all-inclusive um, agreement that was actually concluded right here yeah, in San City. Yes, that Sancti. was that South Africa's um played a very key role in mm-hmm. that. So over the years, as, as, as we've seen a kind of elusive peace becoming the reality, mm-hmm. and all these actors that have entered the fray, the geopolitical calculus has shifted, I think, from a foreign policy calculus perspective, South Africa assessed that perhaps this was an opportune time to also regain some of that lost ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so those all those dynamics are important to mention. Yeah. After the
2: latest in eyewitness news headlines, we'll just reflect on how effective the deployment of, yes, the SANDF as the leading force together with Tanzania and Malawi. How effective has that deployment been um, in the DRC? And how effective is the deployment of the United Nations peacekeeping mission? Because they've been there for decades and they're now beginning to pull out. I think the first phase of pulling out is going to be um, in April this year. By the end of the year, they will completely be out of the DRC. That's the expectation. What does that mean for the future of this conflict? It's 10.30. Let's walk the
3: talk. This is Clemens Taylor on 702.
2: It's 25 minutes before 11 o'clock. This hour, we're discussing the ongoing conflict in the DRC. It's claimed... The lives of our two soldiers who have been there as part of the peacekeeping mission together with uh, the army from Tanzania, from Malawi, uh, the United Nations has also had a peacekeeping mission there um, for a while now, but they're expected to leave. So we've taken through taken you through how and where we find ourselves now and what their involvement of Rwanda is the involvement of the West. We've spoken about the rich minerals in the DRC and how that's also a factor. So this is a very complex conflict. Uh, political, it's ethnic, there are economic considerations here as well. Faith Mabera is a senior researcher at the Institute for Global Dialogue who is um, guiding us through this conversation. We also are now being joined by Dean Well, Wingren, who is a defense analyst and correspondent with Defence Web, Adin, thank you so much for joining this conversation. Good morning.
6: Good morning and thanks very much for having me. When you look at
2: the deployment of the regional force of soldiers, not only from South Africa, but Tanzania, uh, Malawi as, as well, how effective has that been in trying to assist the DRC as it battles with these rebels?
6: Uh well that's a very good question and it requires a quite a complicated answer. Um as your previous um guests uh, have said, you know this situation in the DRC goes back um decades and in some cases even generations. So it's not an easy situation um to resolve and there've been many many um so, so, uh, peace missions, support missions, peacemaking missions in the, in the area. But, uh, let me just preface that by saying, I don't believe that, um, the situation in the DOC will be resolved, uh, militarily. I think it definitely requires a political input and anyway of all the, the neighboring countries, not just the, the rebel groups, but Rwanda and the other neighboring countries. Mm. But, um, yes, uh, the UN has certainly been, uh, active in the DRC for, uh, quite some time, at least, um, from 2012 and even before that. South Africa has been active since 2013 as part of the UN MONUSCA mission. And this is one of the very few, if not only UN missions that has got an active role, not just peacekeepers, but an active role in trying to make peace as part of the force intervention brigade so south africa certainly has experience uh, in the drc um and the east african community have also had a mission in the eastern drc um, burundi kenya south sudan uganda mm. have been active there also against the n23 and other rebel groups but um uh, you know Due to the situation and the ineffectiveness of of these groups, I think the local population in the d o c has um just for want of a better word fed up with these and that is why the u n mission is actually closing down this year is is more not because they've been successful yeah there have been brief periods of success, but on the whole not um having too much success in that um, the DOC has actually asked the UN to please get out. And it's the exact same thing with the East African Community Regional Force. And now we've got the um, SADC uh, mission now coming in to replace both with far fewer um, troops. What does that mean, though,
2: if, if the, the United Nations Peacekeeping Mission is now going to exit by the end of this year... What does that mean for for, for for the DRC? I mean, are they capable to handle it um, as the DRC, I mean, together with, of course, the regional uh, forces, especially now that we're hearing that the war is getting closer to Goma, which is the economic capital of the DRC?
6: Um, that's right. Um, Goma is um, the provincial capital for uh, North Kivu in the eastern DRC, where M23 is mainly active and, um, it's only about 25 odd kilometers uh, away from the t- uh, town of Sake, which, um, M23 is uh, very active. And that's where our troops got into trouble in the past week. So yes, the Congolese army, also known as, uh, FARDC. And, uh, if you excuse, <laughs> there is a lot of, uh, acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> in these uh, type mm, of missions, mm. but uh, I'll try to keep those uh, to a minimum. But uh, th- th- they've proved that they're n- no, not capable. The Congolese army is not capable of uh, countering in what is essentially over 120 different rebel groups in the country. Some of them are against the Congolese government. Some of them are there against other countries, including um, the democratic forces for the liberation of Rwanda. Mm. Which is active in the Eastern DRC as well because they are anti Rwanda in the same way that Rwanda supports M23. So, um, it's a very complicated situation. Mm-hmm. And hence, um, the DRC now calling in, um, SADC to try and assist. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that is setting up to 2,900 troops that have been authorized by the president. It's not to say that all 2,900 will be in-country all at once, but um, those have been allocated for um, deployment. And uh, out of a total force of about 5,000 um, SADC troops, so it's not a big force when you consider that the UN had up to 15,000 troops mm, mm. and uh, could make little headway in countering um, M-23. And of course, you know, we're not exactly sure what the rules of engagement is for this new SADC uh, mission, which is uh, called Sami DRC uh, uh SADC mission in the drc mm. and the rules of engagement are uh, very very important um the un mission had a very tight set of um rules and uh, there were a number of different echelons and levels of uh, authorization required before any active um response could be conducted and this involved many different countries and so uh, that's one of the reasons why the Force Intervention Brigade wasn't as effective as it could be. Yeah. Now, when I talk about rules of engagement, this is the rules that the mission um, must adhere to when um, going against the various rebel groups. And this it could be very um, laissez-faire and relaxed rules, in which case um, as soon as a, the troops are uh, the, the, the the SADC mission troops are attacked,
0: mm-hmm.
6: um, they can immediately respond, or it can be incredibly tight where they have to go through a number of levels okay. of authorization to respond. And that's precisely because due to the nature of the, the DRC, it's not only the mountainous with very poor um, roads and infrastructure, but the, the rebel groups are very highly integrated into civilian villages. So it's very difficult to... um to see who who's a rebel, who's a civilian, because yeah. a civilian today in civilian clothes mm-hmm. is actually a rebel, you know, just scouting in on reconnaissance. And if you just immediately respond to attack, there's a very high likelihood mm-hmm. of um, hitting innocent civilians. And hence, you know, the rules of engagement oh, are quite makes, important.
2: Yeah, and that makes it so tricky. Let's go to Benny, who's calling us from Johannesburg. Benny, uh, you are Congolese, I understand. Good morning. Hi, Benny. Uh, okay. Benny, can you hear us? Okay. Let me put Benny back to to the producers. Uh, Tuso, you are in Johannesburg. Good morning. Good morning, Clement. Nice
1: discussion. I'm so impressed by the panel you have there and uh, the knowledge they are sharing with us. Mm-hmm. Clement, um, I just want to raise a quick one. I know you have got a military specialist there. First one is... What uh, the, the SADAC defence organ? I think they made a mistake um, when they quickly threw Malawi, Tanzania, South Africa uh, defence force uh, where they are deployed. Mm-hmm. Why I'm saying if it's really it really was a SADAC initiative, remember in '98 when Namibian team went there, those guys already have done business and they have an idea of those terrains and what's happening there. For them to go there and like kind of start a new operation without entire SADAC that was there before, I mm-hmm. think it's, it's going to affect uh, South African soldiers, Malawian and Tanzanian. If it was a SADAC collective, I think defense organs should have uh, continued with operation, more or less, that was for SDOs, especially uh, the, the informed gentleman saying that uh, the rules of engagement must be clarified and what they were going to do. My point being I think the Sadak defense organ was caught with um, its pants down and sense that they are not prepared
2: for this mission. Thank you. Okay, Tuso, thank you so much. Um, I'll get Dean to respond to that. Benny, we've got you back on the line. Good morning. Ah, morning, sir. How are you? I'm all right. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I'm a Congolese.
0: Okay. Um, you know, in Congo, we have 450 ethnic Mm-hmm. On that ethnic, there's no Tutsi. There's no Tutsi ethnic there. Uh, what happened? Those people, Tutsi, they came uh, when they were fighting Rwanda, long time ago. When they came to Congo, the time for them to go back, they didn't want to go back to Rwanda. Now they start uh, claiming the land, the the, the the part of Congo, the land of Congo. Mm-hmm. So is those people their M23 or M22 is them. There are 80% of Tutsi people there. Paul Kagame is a Tutsi. He's supporting them. They want to take part of Congo, part of, part of Eastern Congo. Why, does, why Goma people of Goma, they don't want M23? Because those people, they know that they are Tutsi. Those Tutsi come for long time. It's like, let's say Zimbabwe, and there's a Zulu in Zimbabwe. They came here, they came here, and now for them to go back, they don't want to go back. They are claiming the land of South Africa. That
2: is what happened in Congo. Okay, Benny, in Johannesburg, thank you. I'll get uh, Faith to respond to that. Here are some what's of voice notes that have come through.
5: Good day, Clement, and good day to your guests. Please ask your guests, don't they think that it would be far much better for SEDEC to mm-hmm. offer training to the DRC military instead of deploying their own military. Why I'm saying this, Clement? What is the end game by deploying soldiers? Thanks, David.
1: Sorry, Clem. Sorry, sorry, sorry. We can't really just walk past that. Your your um, guest just said something so profound. I think I understand it, but I don't. She says that um, war is a continuation of politics in other means. I hope I've captured that correctly. Mm -hmm. Can she expand on that? Because it it sounds really, really profound.
2: Yes, Faith. (laughs) Yeah, you did say that.
4: Yeah. Mm. Um, To answer uh, Clement, I don't know you want me to start from the back going forward. Okay. So yes um the the exclamation of war being a continuation of politics by other means was one that was put forward by Clausewitz Klaus mm. who was this Prussian military strategist and he made the observation just by looking at the way in which war was so entangled with poli- political um agendas mm-hmm. in fact just to to give it to give it more of a practical um feel to it think of this deployment so this deployment the is is coming from the commander in chief in this case Um, President Ramaphosa is the one who allowed Mm. for that deployment and Mm -hmm. issued the the chief of the defense forces to actually proceed Mm. with this mission. It's because there's such a, a close interlinkage between South Africa's own foreign policy agenda and its defense diplomacy. Defence diplomacy being an instrument of statecraft. So that's why there's that assertion of politics, uh, war being a continuation of politics. On the local level, this is also um, indicative in the sense that, as um, the the Congolese gentleman, uh, Benny, said, Mm -hmm. it's the fighting for land, identity, territory, um, and the, the own political elite networks, also seeking a way of using, for instance, proxy forces to advance their own in service of their own political interest. Mm. So this is um, why I raised that particular um, 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 statement. Yeah, and and if you can, Dean, respond to the question was
2: asking around the army and whether or not um, this SADC mission is sufficient for this fight, he seems to suggest that these soldiers are actually not prepared. And that's linked to... The other question around whether or not it's advisable for SADC to offer training to the DRC military as
6: opposed to deploy uh, the, the army there. Uh, yes, in order to uh, answer the question, uh, let's look at the capabilities of the South African National Defence Force. Um, they make up the significantly the majority of the Sadek mission in the DRC, um, together with Malawi and Tanzania. And South Africa if you, has been suffering hugely under financial duress uh, for, for decades now, being underfunded. And as a result they of having to be cut capability by capability by capability, and uh, you know, fighting a war is expensive. Uh, they say the first thing you need when fighting a, a war is money. The second thing you need is money, and the third thing you need is is money. Mm. And South Africa already has a number of um, mi- missions already um, be uh, involved with, uh, as you said, Manasca in in the DRC, the UN mission which is tailing down, and will probably uh, withdraw by mid-year. We. Um, be- we ramping up with, uh, the SADC mission in the DRC. We, um, involved with, um, the SADC mission in, in Mozambique, where we got about 1,500 troops. Mm-hmm. That is also kind of ramping down now by mid-year, although there's rumors that, um, it needs to remain because, um, Islamic State is still very, very active in the northern provinces of, of Mozambique. And then the Defense Force is involved in um our border uh protection. They're involved with uh, protecting ESCOM power stations. Uh we got well over three thousand troops uh allocated um to assist uh the police with illegal mining. Mm-hmm. So we've got at least about twelve and a half thousand troops that are specifically allocated to a mission. And you still need troops for rotation, troops in training, um Troops in reserve in case there's like riots we had a few years ago mm. or other, um, emergencies. So, and we don't have a, a lot of reserves. We don't have money to call up reserve forces because of the budget and we're running out of, uh, mandates to pay reserves. To, um, and, and then of course, um, for any mission, uh, that, um, expeditionary mission that goes out, uh, out of the country, Um, logistics is incredibly important. And so, um, and to support those troops in country, we said that the DRC is mountainous. Its road infrastructure is not very good. It hasn't got great rail links, specifically in the areas where, um, the defense force is. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely vital that it has air support in in the form of, um, in the form of like attack helicopters like the Roy Falk. Mm Um, which is what well, has been very effective against M23 in 2013 as part of the UN. And in fact, uh, after one or two attacks by the Roe Falk in, in the Eastern DRC, M23 almost melted away altogether. But over time, they've come back. They've grown stronger. And, uh, and then, um, defense budget cuts in South Africa has affected the, Air yeah. Force in the most horrendous way. Mm-hmm. And the three Royal Falk helicopters that are in the DLC have not flown in over a year because there's just no money to pay, to buy a new support contract with Danelle in order to fix those helicopters. Mm. And, but then it's not enough just to have a contract just to support them because it, the, those helicopters have been in service for, for a good number of years and they need to be upgraded. The avionics uh, and the electronic systems on board are now getting obsolete and they need to be renewed. Um, as you mentioned earlier, Rwanda seems to be upskilling or uh, M23 in advanced um, surface-to-air missiles and so on. And our helicopters just are not properly equipped to take those on in, mm. in, in, a, in a safe manner. Yeah, so. And then, of course, not only that, sorry, but uh, we need the Oryx helicopters, which are logistic medium transport helicopters. And those are vital to move troops around. They can't just be static inside a base. Mm. You know, they they might as well be at home then. They have to go out. Yeah. And you need helicopters to transport them when they get into a skirmish. You need those helicopters to extract the troops. You need them for medical evacuation. And Mm. once again, the budget does not allow for sufficient helicopters to be available uh, Mm. where they're required. And therefore, you know, I I don't believe the Defence Force is sufficiently capacitated to undertake this mission Mm. in the DRC. Yeah. Um, I'll bring you in faith
2: in a moment. I want to quickly take in Diadia in Walkerville. Diadia, you are a a a DRC citizen. Good morning.
7: Bonjour, Clément. Comment allez
2: Bonjour. Uh, très bien. Merci. Et vous
7: uh, Très bien. Très bien. OK. I would like to... Just unlike some aspects that have been observed, uh, you know, the commentator and some analysts... Yeah, yeah. Go they, ahead. Uh, <laughs> yes. uh, the way they paint the situation in the DRC, it looks like there's nothing that is happening on the ground by the Congolese army. Mm. While, if you check these days or the last days, the Rwanda uh, troops, or M23, they are losing on the ground. But on the media, what we realize is just something like hypocrisy. Mm. Today, just pay attention about what is happening in Rwanda. How many families are moving? Mm. But that doesn't
2: come on the radio Oh, so you think the M23 rebels are losing ground But that's that's not amplified um, in in, in the media Uh, Faith, uh, why is President Cyril Ramaphosa as the negotiator that he is Not sitting down Felix Chisikedi and Paul Kagame And say, let's sort this out
4: it goes back to the earlier question about the various, the success rate or the critical success factors of the various diplomatic initiatives. Mm-hmm. Now, even there, there's an element of um, fracturing in a way. Just to give you an example, under the inter, um, international conflicts on the Great Lakes region, for instance, which was one that was started um, as, as far back as the, the 2010s, we see Luanda, for instance, Angola, in this case, taking a lead role, and it was the one that actually brought in a, tried to uh, realize a rapprochement between uh, Kigali and Kinshasa. Mm -hmm. And this was complemented by another parallel track led by the EAC the Nairobi process, which attempted to bring in all armed groups to try and really settle this issue of the disintegration, disarmament and reintegration of all these armed forces. But interestingly, the M23 was not included as as part of this. In fact, they turned down uh, their participation in that particular uh, forum. Mm. And then... To an extent there was a realization of a ceasefire. And and um just so a lot of the report, a lot of the resurgence now, for instance, of the violence on the ground, stemmed from a breakdown of that ceasefire. Mm. There was a lull in fighting. So the gentleman is correct, the, the Congolese there was a lull in fighting for about six months between March and October 2023. But then we also saw now both the the, um, FDRC, the Congolese Armed Forces, and the M23 trading accusations about who fired Mm -hmm. the first shot, who violated ceasefire agreement. Mm -hmm. Then this led now to the latest cycle of violence. So it's a question of when you even want to initiate a mediation platform, there has to be. Uh, an uh, a view of neutrality. There, have, there has to be a view of impartiality, and the the, the particular mediator in question has to bring a degree of leverage into the equation.
2: Are we seeing? Are we being seen as impartial at the moment with the level of intervention as South Africa that we've been involved in?
4: That that's a very um, it's a very um, intricate question in the sense that. It's precarious in the sense that, so South Africa, as I've mentioned, has a long history of involvement mm-hmm. in the DRC, not least of which is particularly mining interests that have to come to the fore. Mm. Um South Africa has a bilateral national commission with the DRC, which by implication means that there's particular trade engagements, mm-hmm. to commercial interests. There's also ownership of particularly a lot of mining um, rights in a lot of the, the Congolese uh, uh, territories. So this also yeah. facts into a lot of the political um, yeah. calculus and rationale.
2: Whew, we're out of time, uh, but this has been so insightful. Thank you so much, uh, Faith Mabera and Dean uh, Win Green and Dr. Hoynetti uh, Ramaji, whom we had much earlier.